I love it. I love it. God bless you guys. And uh, I think you know that the year's not over with. And we're, I believe, how many guys believe we can meet that goal still? Like it's the last Sunday, but it's not the last day. Because when people say, what's, what's the shortage? What's the, what could I do to, like everything, just do it. So open your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 29. You guys ready to get in the Word? Come on, are you ready to get in the Word of God today? This is exciting. This is the best part of my week, honestly. Uh, maybe my grandkids, like second birthday party, that was a pretty good part of this week. Christmas was a good part of this week. But being able to stand up here and say, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 29, because today... We're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about the importance of, of unity, of heading in a direction, of, of knowing the heart of God for a place, for a people, for a time, for a, uh, a season. And so if you, as you open your Bibles there, we're going to talk about 2020 vision. And you say, why, why would vision be so important? And I, I think if I were to say this, in a moment, I'm going to say go, and we're going to start a race. Every person in this room is in this race, and, and uh, the weight of this race is such as those who win, their families will be blessed, their, their children will know the Lord, their marriages will be whole, their, their, their lives will be meaningful, and those who lose this race will lose their families, will lose their health, will lose their soul. And, and we're saying, on your mark, get set, go. I just think there'd be pandemonium because I didn't say what the race was, how to win it what the direction was, what the distance was. You'd have some sprinters take off and that way, and, and everybody would be running out the doors and trying to find the answers. And I think that one of the things that this, this platform, this, this time that you give us every week really provides for us is this. I get to say to you, this is what I believe God is doing. This is what we believe, as I've talked about it, thought about it, prayed about it for, you know, a couple of decades now, and, and walked the community countless times, and driven through it, and ran through it, and just prayed, I, God, what do you want us to do? I, through the years, it's not like I'm better at it, but how many guys know I'm more confident in knowing what God is saying, because I've heard his voice, you know? Now, this is not me saying I'm the sage from the stage, and everything I say is, is uh, perfect, because you've seen me stand up on the stage and say some pretty stupid things. You know, But I will say this, from a heart of sincerity, I want to talk to you today not, not about the vision that you need for your life, not about the vision you need for your family, not about the vision for a, a more prosperous nation, but really I, I want to talk to us about the importance. I'm teaching today. We're not sharing anything visionary. I just want to teach you for about 15 minutes today on the importance of the body of Christ, of a local congregation knowing how to win the race that God has set before them, knowing the direction, knowing the speed, being in unity on that. I think sometimes God sends people in for a season to accomplish something, sends them out to do other things. I think sometimes people come in broken, and this is the place where they find Jesus, so they find wholeness. And, and I think sometimes God sends laborers that have specific tools, specific strengths into a harvest field. And we've seen all of that on the platform this morning, people stepping into roles that just 10 years ago, we didn't, we didn't even know the role would exist. We didn't, you know, that Maddie was a kid, excuse me, Pastor Madeline, uh, you know, Madison was a, sorry, yeah, Pastor Madison was a, was a, was a child 10 years ago, and now she's a pastor on our staff. And so I, I'm just here to tell you this. I believe with all my heart that if we, when we, not if we, but I've seen it, when we see the same thing and we have the same heart and we're empowered by the same spirit, we, we just get to do stuff that no one else gets to do. Do you know what I'm talking about? So today, I, I believe that all of this pollinates into every area of your life, but I want to talk about specifically the importance of you, of us, knowing what God wants us to do. God did save us from something, and I say this all the time, but God saved us for something. There's a, there's a reason that we're all sitting here right now hearing this message at this time. So think about this, guys. Just as it pertains to your walk, there, there's gonna be a growing discontentment 
with a Christianity, with a, with a, a form of godliness, with, with doctrinal teaching, with regular worship, with small groups, with, you know, preaching, with, there, there will eventually grow a dissatisfaction with a Christianity that tells you what to do and what not to do, but never tells you who you are, and it releases you to go be that. Does this make sense? What, I, I've seen it so many times. Please hear my heart. I, I want to talk to you intimately and prophetically, which is, is difficult, but hear my heart. When I see people say, you know, I just feel like I'm not doing what I should be doing. I feel kind of dead in my spirit. I feel kind of distant from God, and I'm doing all the things I should do. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. It just seems like God's distant. I have experienced more times than not when I ask questions like, well, are you, have you been obedient to what God's shown you to, to do? Well, yeah, I'm reading my Bible and praying. No, no. The good works that you're created for, are you engaging in them? Well, I don't have time. The kids got soccer practice, the cat the cradle and the silver spoon. I, I, I get that. And I, and I appreciate that your child is going to probably most likely be a professional soccer player that will travel the world someday, one out of 100 million. And, but I, I would say this. It's very important that you, by the time this life is over with, know the satisfaction of having been his hands and his feet, his voice, his eyes, his ears, and his hands. As the body of Christ, there is nothing that will satisfy you more than obedience. Nothing. N nothing that we can create in this room together in the form of worship will satisfy the hunger of your soul than being obedient in the world. And so us finding that place, finding that role, finding that moment is so important. So the, the corporate, the body knowing that the thumb's the thumb and it's, it's happy to be the thumb, the eyeball's happy to be the eyeball, and the ear's happy to be the ear, and respecting and appreciating the differences and the variety in the body of Christ is vital to this house. It is vital to the future of this church that we corporately engage in a singular vision. The Bible talks about vision in a corporate setting and it talks about this in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. I'm going to give you three separate translations for a reason on the same verse. King James says this, where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is, happy is he. <laughs> it sounds like Yoda, doesn't it? The <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I respect the King James translation. I totally do. But remember, this was started in the 1590s, this translation. It was released, what, 1611. So the, a, a guy named James, who was king, commissioned the translating of sacred scripture into the English language. That's the King James Bible. And not that that is a, a, a bad translation. It's a good translation. But the goal of the translators in that day was to take a word-for-word -word translation. If the word meant this, we take the English you know, equivalent of that, and we put that word in, that word in, that word in. Um, fast forward uh, you know, a couple of centuries, and you're going to end up in the, in the early 1970s, and the New International Version translators, a conglomerate of oh, Catholics and Protestants and Episcopalians and mainliners and evangelicals, their scholars got together with this one agreement. We will not progress to the next word until we corporately agree on the meaning of the last word. And they went and did a translation again. So where there's no vision, the people perish, but he who keepeth the law, happy is he. This becomes where there's no revelation. Oh, okay. That was an illustration. It just disappeared suddenly. Okay, where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint 
but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instructions. And I say, wait a minute, where there's no vision, the people perish, where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. Those sound like very different words. Are we sure that we're translating the same words? This is the explanation. By the time you fast forward 300 or so years, the meaning of the, of the old English and the meaning of what we would call modern English has changed so significantly that the word vision is now translated the word revelation. What's the difference? A vision is sight only. Revelation is anything revealed. And originally, what that means there, it really means whatever God is saying, whatever God is showing, whatever God is doing, and we're perceiving it, it's looking through something dark and seeing through the dark what is there to be seen when you shouldn't be able to see it. So without a God-given revelation, without a God-given vision that we would corporately connect to, that they're, they're, the people will perish because they'll say, yeah, go that way. And your market set, go. People will perish. In other words, they're not going to die. They're just not going to produce what they were created to produce. Are you still here? Getting a lot of wax museum stares. Are you still here? So the King James is good. The NIV, I, I believe, has a superiority to it in some ways. Now, the King James Bible is the only Bible God ever wrote. I, people say that and just go, oh, may the spirit of stupid fall off of you and walk away. It... The only Bible God ever wrote was, was penned by the apostles and the prophets and Moses, right? That's the Bible that God wrote. We've been translating, in some ways, transliterating this ever since. And I think all of these translations are wonderful. They do a great job. One of the things we have now is like the Blue Letter Bible app where I can press on the Scripture and go to the original words in the original language and see every definition for every word in a sentence. Like it's what used to take hours of study now takes minutes of just searching out. It's so Blue Letter Bible app, check it out. But now if you fast forward again to the early 2000s, so 30 years after this translation comes out, there's a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson. Peterson um, was one of the, his generations, he's, he's passed away now, but, but one, of, one of the greatest linguists in a generation. And what he did is instead of translating, he transliterated. Now, you say, that's wonderful. I don't know what those words mean. Translated means word for word. It, the word this in the Hebrew, and we, so we write the English word this. The word this in the Greek, so we write the word this. What he did is it wasn't word for word. It was thought for thought. And, and I'm not suggesting everybody should abandon all other study Bibles and all their translations because Eugene got it right. But what Eugene did was this. He had a special situation. He's brilliant in both Hebrew Greek, Aramaic, and, and what he's doing is he's, he's pastoring a small church of uh, steel workers in Pittsburgh. And so he's saying to them, this is what the Bible says, and they kind of give him, how many of you know the confused puppy look? You know, I, I, no comprendo. So he would say, the Bible says this, which means da-da-da-da, and he would say what it means. So he literally would, instead of just reading the Bible, would transliterate the thought and intent of that scripture, and that would be what he would present on his overhead projector to his congregation. And so, remember, without a vision, the people perish. Without God-given revelation, people cast off restraint. This is what Eugene said, it says. If people can't see what God's doing, they just stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. There, there is a temptation from where I'm standing right now to look and see, and I'll use my fingers, what's working. Are people really liking small groups in other churches and they're, they're going to those churches in droves in Atlanta and Seoul, Korea? And, you know, if, if that's working, let's take, let's take the ideologies and, and bring them to the Freedom Center. Because if it works in Seoul, Korea, how many of you guys know it's got to work here? Because McDonald's serves kimchi in Korea certainly has to work in Fenton, Michigan, right? 
And, and what about the music? What's the most popular music? What is it everybody's enjoying listening to on Smile FM? How do we get someone that can look like that, lead like that, bring them here to sing? Music that was written somewhere else for someone else. Because if it worked in Atlanta, Georgia, it must work in Fenton, Michigan. And then you look at Steve Furtick and Craig Rochelle, and you say, listen, people will listen to you if you have, like, like biceps. I need to go to the gym, because who's going to respect the Word of God if it comes from a flabby old guy with no glasses? So I, I got to get in the gym. I got to because I'm doing this for the gospel. And that's all I'm doing, because you put a bar in there, it gets heavy. So I just do this in the gym, freak everybody out. Dina likes to run on the treadmill. I like to run outside. So I'm, I'm the guy that literally would run to the gym and then sit in the massage chair. <laughs> like, what does he even come? He just sits in the massage chair. It's like, I ran three miles to get here. That's why I'm sweaty. Like, he's, he's so out of shape, he's sweating in the massage chair. <laughs> Don't judge. <laughs> so I, I, this is what I've seen, and I've learned it the hard way. Just because God blesses something somewhere else doesn't mean it's for this house. So... The person who sees what God is doing, the people who can see what God is doing, and, and they adhere to that. They see it, and they go, that, that's what God's doing among us. That's what God's doing among us in the realm of missions. That's what God's doing among us in the realm of reaching people that, that are without or the poor, as the Bible calls them. That's, that's what God's doing in Fenton concerning marriage. That's what God is doing concerning the student ministries and the children's ministries and the nurseries ministries. How many of you guys understand what I'm saying? I don't want to look around and see who's doing it great and then try to duplicate what God is sovereignly doing in Minneapolis as if God's going to do it here. But I can still learn from people in Minneapolis, and, and I should be in the gym, I've been working on those curls, man. You know, those quarter pound with cheese. I just, it's going well. So, Mrs. Mossman, did you just clap because I was curling cheeseburgers? Okay, I love you too. I just believe that God blesses people and places, not methodologies. And so, as we consider vision, I want you to know that what we're going to be talking about in the days to come, I don't believe is we've duplicated someone else's blessing. We want to talk about what we believe God is doing here because if, if people can see what God is doing, they don't stumble all over themselves. And when they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. I, I, this morning, as my wife announced that we just fed 80,000 children in Haiti. We're up to 880,000 meals now fed to kids in Haiti in the last four years, on our way to a million meals. That was the goal from the very beginning. Was I was sitting right there, and God said, feed a million kids. And I went, hey, Dina, God, God wants to talk to you. Here's the phone. <laughs> I got up here right away and said, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how this is going to happen. I have no plans for this. I, I, just, I know that I won't be obedient unless I get accountable. God told us to feed, I, God asked me, God told me, you're to feed a million kids. And I told him that we would be happy to do that. <laughs> and so 880,000 meals later, we're just, it seems so strange, we're just 120,000 meals, but we're just 120,000 meals from completing that goal. That, what I'm trying to say is this, when, that isn't for everybody. We, we shouldn't like look at the church down the road and say, so how many kids did you feed in Haiti? I don't, I don't know, we've never been to Haiti. Oh, well. You ever get to Haiti, God will bless you like he blesses us. How many of you guys know that's just wrong? But what God is doing here, we want to talk about what is God doing here because the more we, we participate together, the more hands, the more hearts, the more help, the more prayer, the more faith, the more, Dina talked about it today, you know, five years ago, a doctor whose first name is spelled PhD, you know, looks at you and what's left of your eyes and says you need to prepare for, for an altered future. 
I haven't seen Hawaii. I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to taste it. I mean, guys, if you want to go to Hawaii, you want to see Hawaii. I, you know, go on a helicopter ride. It feels, like, it feels like the massage chair at Planet Fitness. Why would I want to do that? Like, I want to see. And, and how we just were able to go to people and say, listen, would you join me in something that's too heavy for me to carry alone? There was a vision for vision. <laughs> and today I can, I can actually tell from this platform who's paying attention, who's falling asleep, because my eyes have been healed. Not healed by the hands of man and the hands of God. That wasn't like it was a miracle. It was a miracle. If you were blind and now you see, I don't care who's involved, you're grateful for that. And my doctor, who is a Muslim, uh, who did the surgery on my eyes, by the time it was over with, said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. She said, tell me about your faith in God. You have a faith in God that I don't have as a Muslim. What is your faith in God? How many guys know God, God can even touch like the, the weakness and make it straight, right? So some, some may ask a valid question. Let's just deal with this real quick. Well, we have doctrine, so why do we need vision? If we know what we're to do, if the Bible tells us don't do this and do that, shouldn't that be enough? Like, why do we need specific vision? I've actually had people kind of almost push back, like, don't, don't tell me what to do, man. The Bible already told me what to do. And I totally, I respect that. But I'd ask you to consider this. I mean, the, the Bible says to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. I would suggest to you that though that is the commandment of the Lord, it doesn't belong to a person. And it doesn't belong to a, one church. That belongs to the body of Christ. So we are to play our role in reaching the world. We're to play our role in making disciples of nations. We're to play our role in going. But it's like all of you now should buy plane tickets, sell everything you own, and go to the world and tell everybody in America to leave America. Well, what happens to America if we all go to China? What, what happens to America? So what I'm trying to say is this. I believe that everybody is accountable to be obedient to the revelation they have received. But I believe that God gives a revelation to a group of people, whether it's a group as small as a family of two, a group as, as you know, large as the largest church in the world. It is vital for us to know where we're going, what we're doing, how we're going to get there, how we celebrate, what's the win, what's the goal. Um, God tells us all sorts of stuff in his word, but I want you to remember something, that we're the only thing God has ever created that can envision a tomorrow that's different from today. That's a superpower. You look at your kids, you should be envisioning a tomorrow that's different from today, especially if you're changing their diaper. Like, this is not gonna last. Parenting sometimes is more of a duty than you ever imagined as you're changing that duty one more time, one more time, thinking, when can I potty train this kid? He's 10, like, this is getting old, you know? Um... When you look at your marriage, you should look at your marriage not as, well, we've got here. We're just going to like, don't, don't ever get here. I'll always be having a vision for the future. And as we look at our community, Jesus told his disciples, look at the fields and see. There's a harvest that's prepared for a laborer that's prepared. And so we are those laborers. When we see it, it unites us. There was years ago, but I'll never forget it. And I've told this story so many times. Forgive me if you've heard it eight times already. I don't think I've told it in over a year, but there was a young woman named Helen. She was uh, from somewhere else in the world. She was from, Squ- from Scotland. And she talked funny. That's right. I remember she was from Scotland. And she, uh, we just talked about building this building. We just shared that whole vision of a $1.8 million construction project. Remember, this is back when the biggest bill we'd ever had was about $250,000. We're talking about $1.8 million of new construction, raising the money for that and the faith for that. We're in three services down there, and we're talking about having three times the size. And, you know, is it too much? Is it too little? People were upset. They were confused. They were, you know, I wasn't good at casting vision. I just said, I think we're supposed to do this. I was praying. God talked to me. They're like, well, okay, but you're 29. Can you even hear your wife yet, let alone, like, God? And, you know, you're, you're, you're saying, listen, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what's going to work. I, I, it's really expensive, but I think if we don't do it, it's probably disobedience. Who wants to give? 
you know. So I, I did my best to present. You know, I had drawings that were terrible. I had stories that didn't fit. We sang hymns that, you know, talked about onward Christianing and soldiering and all that kind of stuff. And the time came to make a commitment to it. And I, I, I remember that a young lady, was, you know, two weeks from now, we're going to be pledging and giving. And I encourage you, the generations that gave to get us here, it's this generation's turn to get us there. All the stuff that we were enjoying today was part of that moment. And I remember, I remember the, uh, this, this Helen, she walks up to me. She's in her 20s from Scotland. And she walks up. She has a $20 bill. She makes about 100 bucks a month working at a Christian campground. She spent the summer. She's going home. She said, I'm not going to be here when the time comes to give to this. But she, she had it in her hand. Like, yeah, you know about the $20 handshake? You know what I'm talking about? The dead president in the hand kind of thing? She gave me one of those. She grabbed my hand. She pulled me in. She gave me a firm hug. I mean, a Scottish look. Look at, like, are you going after my wallet right now? Or what, what's going on, you know? And she just, she said in my ear, she said, I want you to know something. I see it too. There's something powerful about a moment like that. Something powerful about the affirmation about the connection, about the unity. I see it too. Um, we built that building. And thousands of people through the years have gotten saved in this room. We built that building. And now 880,000 children in Haiti have been fed because of what happened in that room. We built that, that building. We, we wrote in the carpeting underneath here declarations about what would happen in these altars in the realms of miracles and signs and wonders and salvations and baptisms. And I can't tell you the number of times the carpeting has been stained by, by baptisms. Hundreds and hundreds of people baptized in this room. Hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of cups of coffee spilled in this room that baptized the carpeting. I, it, it happened. Guys, what we're going to talk about for the, for the month of January is not where we've been, which is the wonderful. I love telling where you've been. We need to talk about where we're going. We need to talk about what's next. We need to dream dreams that go into the next generation. We need to dream dreams. Uh, little girls this big that become pastors that are still about this big. But still, I'm sorry, Maddie, just not that tall. But she married Jordan, so between them, they're about this big, you know? We need to look at our kids not as something that's expensive and noisy. And we need to look at our kids and say, in that room is the next senior pastor of Freedom Center Church. We need to dream unshakable, unbreakable, unified, broken heart, agonizing, glorious, heavy, dynamic dreams that God is going to give us. Would you stand to your feet, please, all over this room? Yeah, everybody. I'm ending my sermon short. So Pastor Kyle's like, I'm not supposed to be at the piano yet. So... Um, the power of unity. If you remember back to the Old Testament, there's this t- the tower called Babel. Um, and because the world had one language, they were building it. And the goal was not a good goal. The goal was to build something that actually defied God, not glorified God. And in the process, God had them fall into confusion by the various languages. So suddenly this guy's speaking French, Portuguese, Spanish, or whatever, whatever the languages were, and they, they couldn't, they couldn't, understand each other anymore. And when they couldn't understand each other, the work fell apart. They understand this. When we speak the same language, the world doesn't fall apart. When, when we're heading in the same direction, the world doesn't fall apart. Just, just by way of cultural suggestion, just by way of illustration, not trying to inflame any boil on your soul, okay? What if the United States quit bickering and started working? What could this country do for the world? What, what, what about... 
take it down to the community. What about the state? Instead of arguing over every dollar and every pet project and paying off everyone who, you know, gave you money to get a life, what if, what if we just cared about what was right and we could agree on what was right? Make it smaller. What about the city of Fenton? I think it gets a little easier. What if we decided that we were done with divorce in our city and we went after it? What if we decided we were done with our kids getting hooked on heroin and fentanyl and dying in the streets and we did something about it? She just announced to you that you guys, over and above your regular giving, just as, as causes, just as needs, just as visions came up, a third of a million dollars last year just to do something about it. Together, we did that. What, what else is in front of us? What are the next horizons? What are the next broken hearts? What, I, there's a certain injustice to putting a kid in jail who never stood a snowball's chance to begin with. There's something beautiful about having a place where that kid can come and have a family, brothers, sisters, even mothers and fathers can say, hey, you know what? I love you, but you're acting like such an idiot right now. I just want to smack you in the face. Knock it off. And they go, oh, I'm loved enough to be corrected. I love, you know, the, the prison ministries. I love the rehab ministries. I do. I will support them and support them. I must know that I, I long for a day where we don't need them because people don't become criminals and addicts because they were loved first and they live fruitfully. Does this make sense? We got dreams to dream, guys. And if we all begin to see it, and we all begin to pray towards it, we all begin to give into it, we all begin to live it, we all begin to, to move in one singular vision, my belief is, my faith is, we're not going to be celebrating a, a, a past as if it's the only thing that ever happened. We need to be anxiously awaiting a future that is one day closer. So next week, we start talking about, for the next three weeks, two weeks, three weeks, we're going to be sharing with you specific portions of what we believe is this vision, what God has revealed, that we'll be most blessed to unify around. It will be a culmination of not just our lives, but the lives of those who came before us. It'll be a, an expression. And my goal is not to raise funds. My goal is to raise faith. My goal is to raise a corporate set of, I see it twos, corporate set of we bleed in that same place we weep in that same place we're passionate about that same place my contention is this in 2020 it is my heart it is our goal to engage who you are where you're supposed to be that you would know the satisfaction not just of a good worship set which we love not just a good prayer meeting which we need not just a good bible study which which we value but a well-lived fruitful life that you get to live, but we get to corporately engage in and see mountains move. We are just starting to move mountains. People say, well, what the culture, you can't know culture. That culture changes so quickly. Let me tell you something. The best way to predict the future is to create the future. And we have that sort of leverage. We, I mean, I don't mean to get weird, but who couldn't we get elected if we wanted them to be in that position? Who, who couldn't we pray for that God would say, no, I don't want to bless that person or save that person. I, I refuse to because I'm mad at him. Like, God is on our side. And if God be for us, to quote the book of Mr. T, I pity the fool. This isn't a power trip. This is to bring the kingdom of God to earth. That is what will be done here in our lifetime. And when our eyes close, as really, really, really old people, 110, 120 years, let's just go that far. As soon as I say old people and I say 60, all the 70-year-olds get mad at me. I didn't know they were listening. So that's, you know what I mean? Like that's, 
Hear me, guys. We're not done. Close your eyes and let's just see it. Close your eyes. Let's just see it. Father, I pray for those that are here in this moment of history. Changes, evolutions, modifications, all launching pads, God, for a future that is glorious. It, it's going to cost us everything. It's going to be scary at times. And if it weren't, then who wants to be a part of it? If we can see it now, then it, it wouldn't take faith to, to receive it later. But God, I just believe. I believe next we're going to get together and find out that this year's goal was completely met. I believe they're going to get together next week and start talking, having completed one, one decade, looking into the next decade that'll hold a lot of changes in it. We're going to create the future because your kingdom is to come. We're, we're thermostats. We're not thermometers. We change the temperature. We don't reflect it. We have a purpose. We are salt. We are light. We are yours. As ambassadors, let us carry this message to this generation and beyond. Thank you for little girls that become staff pastors. Thank you for little boys that take on roles that we never... We saw it, I guess, but you just don't see it until you see it. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you, God, for yesterday. But God, we are so excited about tomorrow. I pray that vision, 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 revelation, what you reveal will be the very thing that unifies us, God, in the upcoming years. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. My message is done a corporate vision for this house and just the vitality that comes through that is so crucial. We're going to spend three weeks talking about it. Specifics. What the finish lines look like. What, what the race is. Who's going to be a sprinter. Who's going to be a, a marathoner. Who's going to lift weights. Who's going to throw javelins. We're going to talk about all these things in detail and ask you to prayerfully commit to various areas that are going to express what God put inside of you. But maybe you're here today and you're like, Jim, that's all wonderful, but it's inside of me right now and God didn't put here. I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm a prisoner in my own flesh. A thousand times I've prayed that God would help me never to do it again, only to do it again that day. I don't, I don't need to throw a javelin I don't need to lift weights. I don't need to know if we're running this way or that way. I need, I need a Savior. I need God to be merciful to me today. Let me tell you something. I want you to hear me. God's mercy is expressed because He loves you. And from God's mercy, God's going to give you purpose. He's going to restore what's been lost. He's going to help you walk through some days ahead. And I, I please hear my words. Just because you get right with God today doesn't mean tomorrow's easy. And you have to hear that. I gave my life to Jesus and things got worse. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard that. And it's almost like a surprise. I went from being the devil's friend to the devil's enemy and he got angry. Things got worse. That's generally what happens. But understand this. The faithful God who's here right now to meet with you is be the faithful God that holds your hand through the valleys, through the shadows, through the fire, through the flood, through the tribulation. He's the one that who begins a good work in you today will be faithful to complete it until that day when he returns for you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I can now see if you raise your hand in this room. So my eyes will be open, but nobody else's, please. Jim, I'm not right with God, but I, I need him to be merciful to me today. I just want to pray for you, that's all. I just want to help you. 
If that's you, I want you to lift your hand up all over this room right now. I need God to be merciful. Thank you. I know he's just. I need him to be merciful today. I need him to be merciful today. Several hands all over this room. All over this room. I'm going to put them right back down again. Father, I pray for every uplifted hand. That was an act of faith. We believe in our hearts. Now, God, as we confess with our mouth your lordship over us, I pray you would wash away every yesterday, every yesterday, not just the specific thing, all of it. The stuff that led to that we don't even know about, the roots and the foundations of our old life, an old civilization that's passed away. God, I pray for a newness, a revelation of how merciful, not just mercy, but how merciful you really are, how loving, how good, how strong you really are. Everybody all over this room right now, would you just, just follow me for just a moment in a simple prayer? This is everybody. I, I know some of you don't need to pray this, but by praying it, you're producing an atmosphere. You're creating something that helps the people around you that do need it to be able to do it without shame. It's hard to come home sometimes. The prodigal son doesn't come home and say, hey, Pop, I'm home. He drags his nasty, naked body in and goes, I'm not worthy. And there are people in this room right now, they're believing that lie. We need the father to wrap his arms around them. We don't need the brother to say, What? after what they did like no one is here to be punished everyone's here for mercy somebody say amen everybody needs the same mercy from the same father so say this with me right now all of this room Jesus thank you for loving me the way you do forgive me of all of my sins I'm not going to name them I just call them sin and I ask for your forgiveness I turn to you now because I believe you're merciful. I turn to you now because I trust your love for me. So here I am, past, present, and future, belonging to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me your word. I'll see you soon. Those of you who raise your hand, like, it's a beginning. It's a brand new start. And welcome to the promised land. You're really going to like it here. It's time to kick some giant's butts. Amen. Um, altar workers are coming forward to pray for you about anything you need prayer for. It's still really raining outside, so stick around to the second service. So just do it again. If you need prayer this way, guest room, sister babe, I think we have a guest reception back there today. And just